here, brother. Yeah. Well, good morning. Uh, this is my wife and my daughter up here in the front row. Go ahead and stand up and wave. Yay! They are here with us. I have uh, one son that's in Canada this morning, uh, just doing a weekend getaway before he has to go back to college. Uh, another daughter who's down in Philly getting ready for her senior year. And then uh, my other daughter, Karis, is uh, what I'm going to talk about in just a minute, uh, is at a family reunion with her boyfriend's family. So anyhow, it's great to be here. Uh, really enjoyed my, my time with you, and I'm excited about what God wants to do this morning. Um, how many of you are familiar with the comic strip character, and he's kind of faded from uh, the, the scene, Charlie Brown? You like Charlie Brown? I mean, listen, Family Guy can't compete with Charlie Brown. The Simpsons can't compete with Charlie. Charlie Brown's awesome, okay? And, uh, and I think the reason I like him is because of his vulnerability and uh, how he really doesn't try to be something he's not. And he's always getting picked on by Lucy. Lucy was the other character in the comic strip. And for those of you going, what is he talking about? It's a great comic strip, okay? You've at least seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, okay? Um, but a few of my favorite comic strips, let me recite them for you so that you can at least get the benefit. Uh, one, Lucy comes up to him, and she shakes her fist in Charlie's face. And then she opens her hand and she said, Charlie, do you see these five fingers? Alone, they're not much. But when I wrap them together, they're a weapon of mass destruction, and Charlie Brown looks at his hand and he goes, why can't you guys get together like that? Okay. Uh, another one is she's picking on him and uh, kind of uh, philosophizing about life and the meaning of life. And she says, Charlie Brown, you don't understand this, but life is like a deck chair. Some people position their deck chair to see where they've been. Some people position it to see where they're at presently. And some people position their deck chair to see where they're going. And Charlie Brown looks into the eyes of the reader and he says, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. <laughs> now, when it comes to the meaning and purpose and even our destiny in life, um, I have felt the frustration at times, as have you, that it's like trying to unfold a deck chair that's being incredibly uncooperative. And, uh, and there's been times in my life where I just went, Lord, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's chaos. It's confusion. If you are behind the scenes and you are a God of order, I'm not seeing it right now. But in spite of that reality that we all go through from time to time, uh, the truth of God's Word is very clear, and that is that God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose. God has a destiny for every single person in this room. Uh, before we go to our main text this morning, let me just give you a couple passages that have been powerful for me. In Acts chapter 13, there's a verse about King David, and it says this, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. I love that verse because in essence, in fact, I've thought about you know, telling my wife to put that on my tombstone someday. Because what a wonderful thing to be said of a person's life when they fulfilled the purposes of God in their generation, when they did everything that God made them for, that they were born for, when they fulfilled their destiny, what more is there? then it's time to go home and fall asleep and be with Him. Another verse that you may be more familiar with is in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, We are God's workmanship, 
And we're created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do something. To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you unpack that verse, what it says is, before you were born, God was putting into you all the gifts and the talents and abilities that you were going to need to accomplish His purpose and destiny in your life. Now what that means is that for us to say, sorry God, I don't have what it takes to do what you've called me to do, is a false argument. Because the reality is, He has prepared in advance not only your destiny, but also He has crafted and shaped and gifted you so that you have everything you need for life and godliness through Christ Jesus. And so we all have a purpose. We all have a destiny. I guess the question is, how do we fulfill our purpose? How do we become people of destiny? You see, um, I really believe that every single one of us have something uniquely suited that God has formed and shaped us for. Some of you here, you're evangelists. You're able to build bridges with people that don't know Christ. You're able to bring them into a place of being open and hearing the truth. Some of you are called to work with children. Uh, You're just very gifted to work with young people. And young people, for whatever reason, they listen to you. Some of you, uh, you would be traumatized if Pastor Edward ever suggested that you get up here in front. Because your gifts are much more behind the scenes. But I want you to know something. No matter what your gifts, your abilities, your destiny, there are no nominal callings in God's kingdom. There's only nominal attitudes. And so how do we become a person of destiny? How do we, how do we make sure that we're doing what we were born for? Uh, my daughter, Karis, who's not here this morning, when she was younger, uh, she was our family gymnast. And she could do flips and somersaults and cartwheels and, and uh, she's still incredibly flexible, and she would bend her bodies into shapes that made my back hurt just watching her. And, um, and I, I took her to gymnastics one time, and I picked her up after gymnastics. She was about eight. And I said, Karis, how was gymnastics today? She said, Dad, it was awesome. I was born for gymnastics. And I said, Honey, yes, you were. You were born for gymnastics, and I wasn't. She said, No, Dad, don't ever try what I do. Okay? And then all of a sudden it hit me, wait a minute, this is a teachable moment. Karis, I said, you're on to something here. At every stage in your life, make sure you're always asking, am I doing what I was born for? Am I doing what I was made for? Folks, listen, far beyond gymnastics or whatever it is that you're made for, God has put in your heart something that you will be both passionate for gifted for and able to pull off better than anybody else. And I think one of the great tragedies in the church today is that much depression, much anxiety, much of our fear is rooted in the fact that we're living for less than what we were born for. We're we're settling. We're, We're making a paycheck and we're paying the bills, but inside... Every day we're losing more and more passion because you and I often get stuck in the rut of living for less than our destiny. And there are obstacles that are going to try to keep us from fulfilling our destiny. So today I want to look at a passage in Scripture. It's actually in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, where I want to look at an abbreviated story of a man and a woman that you're familiar with, Abraham and Sarah, And in this passage in Hebrews, 
we find, uh, I think, kind of a nutshell synopsis of their life, of how they overcame obstacles and became a man and a woman of destiny. And from their lives, I see some qualities of faith that you and I can grab onto to fulfill the destiny God has for us and overcome obstacles. Now, let me set the scene before we read this passage. Hebrews is a wonderful book. We don't know who wrote it. We just know that the Holy Spirit inspired it. But we probably know more about the recipients of Hebrews than we do the author. Um, The reason is, is when you read it, you can tell that the author is writing to young Christians who were probably from a Jewish background. And in the first century at this time, Judaism was not being persecuted. And Christianity was starting to be persecuted. So some of these young Jewish converts are being tempted to go back to Judaism because fulfilling their destiny in Christ is becoming too painful and risky. By this time, some of them may have even died. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to them and he says, listen, you can't go back. Because no matter what you had in the prophets, even if you had angelic visitations, no matter what you had before, nothing is greater than Jesus. Jesus is superior to anything else. And He's your destiny. So don't give up. Press on. And he gets to Hebrews 11 and he says, let me share with you some of the people in your history, in your heritage, that did not give up, that had qualities of faith that overcame the obstacles and became men and women of destiny. And so Hebrews 11 is like this hall of fame about faith, but also about people that would not give up in spite of the obstacles thrown against them. And so Abraham and Sarah are in this place. Now, let me say one more thing before we look at this passage. Some of you are going, Ron, yeah, but Abraham and Sarah, they're in the Bible. I'm not in the Bible. No, but you have the Bible. And the reality is you have even more than they had. They lived previously to the cross. They were looking forward to something you and I have inherited in the cross and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the reality is, don't look at them and say, yeah, but they're Scripture characters. I'm just a normal guy. I'm a normal lady. Listen, you have everything you need for life and godliness. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is upon you, and He has made you for destiny. That's what you're made for. Don't settle for less. Let's look at this passage. Beginning with verse 8, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Moving on. There it is. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead. How would you like to be remembered in Scripture as the guy that's as good as dead? Okay, I think this is another example of God showing You don't have to have much. You just have to offer what you have, and I'll do miracles. Okay? And he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Let me give you five qualities of destiny. The first one that I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny may be far from perfect, but when God calls, they will say yes. First quality of faith 
And destiny is this. A person of destiny may be far from perfect, but when God calls, they say yes. Uh, If you notice in that passage we read, uh, I paused when I said this. In verse 8 it says, When he was called, Abraham obeyed and he went. He obeyed and he went. He said yes to God. Now, when you read the New Testament accounts of Abraham and Sarah, I wonder if you've ever noticed how glowingly they are recorded. I mean, the New Testament writers, Hebrews, uh, Galatians, James, they speak about Abraham and Sarah as if they were perfect. But when you go back and read the Old Testament accounts about Abraham and Sarah, have you ever scratched your head and said, I wonder if these New Testament authors read the Old Testament? Because I don't find a perfect man and a perfect woman named Abraham and Sarah. I find a guy who lied about his wife on two occasions to save his own neck. Remember that one? And, uh, I mean, Sarah must have been incredibly understanding because I'm not sure I could even get away with that once with Wanda. Okay? You know, go ahead, take her into your harem, you know, as long as I'm okay, okay? Um, He not only does it once, he does it twice. And then Sarah, you know, she has her own issues. She needed some serious therapy, okay? Um, You know, she says at one point, look, I don't know how God's going to fulfill this promise, but you need to stop coming knocking at my tent. You need to go get my handmaiden because this is getting old. And she tries to circumvent the process of the child of promise. And so when you look at Abraham and Sarah... And then you see how glowingly they're recorded and spoken of in the New Testament. I ask, why? Here's the reason. Though far from perfect, when God called them on the big stuff, they said yes. They did not get paralyzed and sidetracked by their sins, by their failures, by their weaknesses. When it came to the big stuff, Abraham was a yes man and Sarah was a yes woman for God. Now here's how this applies. I believe that there are people right here this morning who are paralyzed in fulfilling your destiny because you're fixated and focused on your sin. I I think some of you are so caught up in your weakness, in your past failures, in your sin issues that you can't seem to get over that you are saying no to God in some big stuff. In fact, I think the enemy uses this as a weapon to rob you. The enemy shows up with these self-righteous robes, and he he says, how could God ever use you with that in your life? And you agree with him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so what you do is you sit back in your seat. You know God's calling you forward. You know there's ministries He's calling you to birth. You know that there's people that only you can touch. And you listen to this perfectionism. And you allow it to paralyze you and stop you from saying yes to God in the big issues of your life. Erwin McManus puts it this way. I love this quote. He says, The greatest tragedy of our lives is not the sins we commit, it's the lives we fail to live. Listen, we're never going to be sinlessly perfect until we get to heaven. And the reality is God is calling you to step out and say yes to Him. Now, you need to know something. He will deal with your sin. He loves to cleanse you and wash you, but I am convinced that God loves to hit a moving target. And when we sit and are paralyzed, it's almost as if we agree with the sin, we agree with the weakness, and those things become the defining characteristics of our life, and we're robbed of our destiny. So the first quality I see in Abraham and Sarah that I think we've got to embrace and grab onto is this. Though far from perfect, when God calls, 
we're going to become yes men and yes women for him. The second quality I see in this passage is this. Abraham and Sarah didn't have to know every last detail before they moved out. They didn't have to know every last detail before they moved out. In verse 8, the second part of the verse, it says this, They obeyed and went, even though they did not know where they were going. Now, I want you to catch that. They lived in the Mesopotamian Valley. Uh, you know, we have reason to believe there was at least some semblance of a fairly comfortable civilization. And God calls them to make a trip. And even though this was a trade route that they would go up through the northern part of the Mesopotamian Valley and down around towards uh, what we now know as Israel and the Promised Land, families did not do this. And we know that they probably did not have good maps. They certainly didn't have a GPS unit. They didn't know all the details. I mean, can you imagine taking a vacation like that? I think I've taken a few like that, where you know, kind of pack up the kids and load the car up and say, okay, this year, do we go left or right out of the driveway? Well, let's go right. We went left last year. And then you just start to drive. And when the kids say, are we there yet? You say, I have no idea because I don't know where I'm going. Okay? Some of us have taken some trips like that. But the reality is, do you know, I think I would have had some questions for God. Wait a minute. Before we do this, uh, where are we going to live once we get there? What's the weather like? Should I take a sweater? I need some more details here, God. Now, you know, we can laugh about that, but here's the reality. When God calls you into your destiny, He never gives you all the details in advance. And some of us are saying, God, I'll obey you and I'll step out, but I need a blueprint here. I, I need some more details. And, and I, Lord, I'm, I'm into this fulfilling my destiny thing, but I can't move out when I don't know what the next step is. Folks, listen, it's my experience with God, and I see it backed up in Scripture, that He will give you enough light for the first step. And then He says, trust me. And it's, I really believe that God is intentional in not giving us all the details for a few reasons. For instance, if God had told me when I was 25 what I was going to be doing at 47... I would have been terrified and I would have run the other direction. Because I didn't have enough faith at 25 for what he's calling me to do at 47. I see, I don't think I had enough faith at 40 for what he's calling me to do at 47. And in the mercy of God, he's only going to give you enough detail for the faith that you have in that moment. And he expects you to step out and trust him. There's another reason I think God isn't going to give you all the details. Because if he gave you a blueprint for the next 40 years, let me tell you something. I know me, I know you, you would try to do it on your own because you have the plan mapped out. But God's into this thing called intimacy. You see, He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to hold His hand. He wants you to say, Father, I will say yes to you. I will not be bound by perfectionism. I, I don't demand every last detail. As long as you've got me by the hand, I will trust you and I will step out. See, I think there's some of us that are being paralyzed in our destiny because we're demanding too many details. In 1989, Wanda and I uh, just had one child at the time. Kelly was a year old. And we had a very comfortable church in Connecticut. It was great. The people loved us. They wanted us to stay on as the senior pastor. But we could not get it out of our heads that God was calling us to go plant a church. And not just a church in the next community, not just another church in Connecticut, God was calling us to move from Connecticut to California, a place we'd never been before. 
And, and I remember that season. God confirmed it through His Word. Uh, Wanda was convinced. I was convinced. Uh, we had wise counsel and, and intercessory prayer partners that, that were convinced that that was what God's will was. But we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't have any of the details. We didn't know how we were going to make a living. There was no money promised out there. And, uh, and we had people in our life say, listen, you're crazy. Stay put. You've got a secure job. And yet we said, Lord, we're going to step out. We are going to obey you, even though we don't know all the details. Now, to make a long story short, it was one of the highlights of our lives. The 10 years we spent in Redding, California, resulted in a church being planted, uh, great stories of God moving in power. Uh, in fact, the Sunday we left in 1999 to come back and teach at Nyack, there were 1,100 people there for worship on a Sunday morning. The church is called Risen King Community Church. They just broke ground last year, and they are right now, today, worshiping in a brand new worship facility. And, and the people of God are together because radical obedience will always unleash radical power. Radical obedience, when you don't know all the details, when you say, Lord, I know you've called me, I don't understand all the details of how it's going to work out, but I will trust you, and I honestly believe that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Because we've got to step out. We've got to trust Him. And so a person of destiny may not know all the details, but when they hear from God, they'll say yes. Number three, third quality I see in Abraham and Sarah is this. They don't allow discomfort to rob them of their destiny. Now verse 9 is an interesting verse. It says there that they live like strangers in a foreign country. Something, you know, some of us have some understanding of, living as kind of strangers in another land. Um, but the thing that gets me about this is it says they lived in tents for the rest of their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate tent camping. I hate it. When, we, when the kids were little, Wanda said to me, you know, we need to get a tent, we need to go camping. I said, why? Where's that in the Bible? And she showed me. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, wow, uh, camping. So I had to go to Walmart, and I bought this tent, and uh, I think Kelly was about two or three, and Bryce was just a baby, and, and, and so we went camping on the coast of California at this place called Patrick's Point State Park. Beautiful, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. There's only one problem. It rains like 500 days a year there, you know. And uh, so we go. I remember the night where I could, like it was yesterday, it is pouring down rain. Wanda and the kids are in the van and I'm setting up this tent and somebody told me to dig a trench around the tent and that would help. That didn't help. It's a stupid thing. It just channeled all the water right through the tent. It was horrible. I remember laying there in wet sleeping bags, holding the kids in the air, breathing through straws, you know. It, it wasn't that bad, but you weren't there. And, uh, and just, I mean, it was miserable. And, and I remember saying to Wanda, I said, listen, I know, you know people, they start with tent camping and they go to trailers and then they go to motor homes. That's not progress. I want to start with like Motel 6 and move to Holiday Inn and end up with the Hilton. You know, I mean, that's camping, okay? Why? Because I don't like discomfort. And I have a suspicion that you don't either. But the reality is, Abraham and Sarah faced many incredible discomforts in their commitment to fulfill their destiny. And I want you to know it's not a comfortable thing to be called by God. 
And, and right now, we have to come to the place where we realize that often when God calls us, He is calling us to step out and not do the comfortable thing, but do the uncomfortable thing. You see, a man came to Jesus at one point and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I am committed. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus looked him in the eye. Now imagine, this is a guy that's ready to be a convert. He's ready to be sold out. And Jesus looks at him and sees right through the facade and says, that's fine, but you might want to remember this. The birds of the air have nests and the foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And if you're okay with signing up for a lifetime of discomfort, then you have an eternity of comfort to anticipate. But in this life, being called of God is not a comfortable thing. Now, the reason I, I want to push on this is that I think in America, we've made discipleship a comfortable thing. Uh, we've had the message proclaimed, add Jesus to your already successful, prosperous, comfortable life, and you'll just be happier. I even go into a southern accent when I do that, you know. I mean, uh, this, this message creates this illusion that discipleship is this thing of pleasure and hedonism. Folks, I want you to know something. When Jesus calls you, He calls you to come and die. When He calls you, He calls you to take up your cross. And it is going to be uncomfortable, and there is going to be discomfort, but the reality of it, of, of it is, is you're investing in this life for the eternity to come. And so the whole issue of destiny means this. If you're going to fulfill it, you have to be willing to say yes to some discomfort so that you can fulfill what God's called you to. Let me move on. The fourth thing I see in this passage is this. Abraham and Sarah also don't allow the doubts to rob them of their destiny. Doubt. Verses 11 and 12 tells us that when Abraham was as good as dead, and it also says, this is a nice thing for Sarah to be remembered as, when Sarah was old and barren, okay, that is when they finally received the child of promise. Now you know the story. They receive the promise when they're about 75. They finally see the fulfillment when Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. And that's when they finally conceive. Now, do you think they had some doubts along the way? You know they did. Now, please be aware that in Romans chapter 4, we're told this, and it's an interesting phrase. They, they never wavered into unbelief. Now, here's the distinction. Doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is when you get a God-sized vision of what He has promised and you say, I have no idea how you're going to do this, God. That's normal. That's natural. In fact, let me say that if you have a vision for, from God as to what you're to do with your life and you don't have some doubt as to how it's going to happen, then you probably don't have a God-sized vision. Because your God-sized vision better be so awesome and so powerful that when you look at it, you have to say, there is no way humanly possible I can do this. I, I, I have some doubts as to how I'm going to get here, but here's what I refuse to do. I refuse to allow those doubts to lead me into unbelief. Because there's a difference between saying, I have no idea how it's going to happen, to it's never going to happen. I no longer believe and I give up. And Abraham and Sarah, though they had doubts, in the final analysis, they're remembered. 
they're remembered because they did not give in to their doubts. They didn't let those doubts paralyze them, and they became a man and a woman of destiny. I have a friend who, many years ago, uh, had a job that everyone wanted. He was a forest ranger in California. He got to drive around in a green truck in the beauty of Northern California, and um, everybody wanted that job. It paid pretty well. It had good benefits. He hated it. And he wanted to own a coffee shop. Now, let me set the context. This is before Starbucks had emerged. And he had this vision for owning a specialty coffee shop where he roasted his own beans and sold coffee for four bucks a cup. And he went and he told the people that he worked with, and he said, you're, they said, you're nuts. You're crazy. You know, you have a perfect job. He says, I hate it. It's not what I was born for. And he said, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to start a coffee shop called Serendipity. That was the name of it. And, uh, and they said, listen, you're going to fail. If you do this, you're going to fail. And he said, well, then I'll fail doing what I was made for, not doing something that I have no passion for. And so he quit his job, and he started this coffee shop in Redding, California, called Serendipity. And he did. He sold really expensive coffee drinks and lattes and all this stuff before people had really heard of this concept. And it was wildly successful. It was so successful that he opened up another shop called Serendipity. And when Starbucks moved in, they could not throw him out of the market, and they offered to buy him out for more money than he'd ever dreamed of. He kept one of them just as a hobby and sold the other one to Starbucks. See, the reality is this. There's going to be things that people around you hear, and they see your dream, and they see your vision, and because they don't have eyes of faith, they're going to say, you're crazy. You're an idiot. That's never going to happen. And so let me encourage you. When God begins to birth destiny in you, be very careful who you share it with. Be very careful because not everyone has the eyes of faith that the Lord is giving you for the destiny that's about to be birthed. Because you're going to share your vision, your dream, what God is birthing in you with some people, and they are going to slander it, and they are going to slam you, and they're going to malign the destiny that God is birthing within you. And so you need to be very careful because the reality is those are the people that will try to turn your doubts, which are normal, which are natural, into unbelief. And so a person of destiny, though they have some doubts, they're going to step out and fulfill it. They, in essence, say, Lord, I believe. I believe. I choose to believe. I will not waver into unbelief. Have some doubts, Lord. Have no idea how it's going to happen, but they're not going to stop me. Well, finally, the fifth thing I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny allows their future, their vision for what God's calling them to be and to do, to be clarified, shaped, and motivated more by where they're headed than by where they've been. Now let me clarify this. This is a little complicated. A person of destiny is going to allow their vision of that destiny to be shaped more by where they're headed than by where they've been in the past. Now if you notice uh, in this passage... And let me go to this passage again because some of these verses we didn't read. Verse 10 we did. It says, For Abraham was looking forward. Notice the direction. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 15, which we didn't read, says this, If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. What these verses are telling us is this, if Abraham and Sarah 
had focused on what they left behind, they would have never fulfilled their destiny. They had to radically abandon their old life. They couldn't look back to Ur and say, oh, I wish we were back there, or let's live in this new land the way we live there. No, it was a whole new destiny God had called them to. And if they were captured by their past, they were never going to fulfill what God had called them to. Now, I could go a number of directions with this, but let me, let me hit just a couple. I think there are churches that get stuck focused on their past. I think there are whole denominations that get stuck focused on who they used to be. Now, I'm all for history and heritage, and I value the foundations upon which we're built, but if that history and the heritage and the glory days of our church rob us from what God wants to do in the future, then we're going to miss our destiny. I think with individuals, it happens this way. You know, some of you have grown up in less than idyllic situations. Uh, You've had parents and authority figures speak lies over your life and curses. They've said, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. And, and some of those, those tapes are continuing to play even though those people are long gone and your past is having a paralyzing influence on your future. And it's time for you to say, if I'm going to be a man or a woman of destiny, I've got to leave the past behind. This isn't denial. God has to heal those things. We have to deal with them. But our vision has to be focused more on where we're headed than on where we've been. See, a few years ago, I was asked to uh, be the evening evangelist at a church camp. This was the church camp that I grew up going to as a kid, as a teenager. Um, My dad was a pastor. I used to go to this church camp all the time. And um, I had been asked to leave this church camp early several times as a teenager. Enough said, okay? And uh, had quite a reputation and and now they're calling saying, Dr. Walborn, would you come be the evening evangelist? And I said, are you going to let me stay the whole week this time? They said, we'll see. Um, and uh, I went and, and had a great time. God moved. It was a wonderful time of ministry. Um, you know, great stuff was happening all week long. And all week people were coming up to me saying, hey, Ron, do you remember when you pulled this prank? Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did this? You know, uh, one lady came up, I changed your diapers when you were a baby. I'm like, thanks for sharing, you know. And uh, so I, this is going on all week. And then an older pastor came up to me at the end of the week, and he said, Dr. Walborn, does it bother you that all these people are coming up reminding you of your past? And I said, no, nah, it doesn't bother me for two reasons. Number one, They don't know the half of what I actually did, and if that's all they know, then let them tell their stories. Okay. Uh, The second reason it doesn't bother me is this. That's no longer who I am. You see, that's who I was, but it no longer defines my future and my present. And and the truth is, folks, uh, because of my youth and because of some of the craziness of my youth, literally the Lord had to move me 3,000 miles from the East Coast to California Why? So that I could grow into my destiny and who I was as a man of God, unencumbered by my past. And I was there for ten years, in essence, becoming who God had called me out to be, rather than being dictated by my past reputation. I will say this, sometimes when God calls you out, you have to leave a geographical location in order to escape your past. 
There's times that you, there's no other way to do it but to separate yourself and move beyond that so that you can see your future with greater clarity than your past. And so the reality is this. If you're going to be a person of destiny, you can't put your hand to the plow and look back. You've got to continue to look forward. All right. Let me finally summarize by saying this. Um, there's one other verse I want to mention in closing. It's in verse 16. And it says this, Therefore, it's the very end, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, I look at that verse and I go, Wow! Listen to that. Because Abraham and Sarah didn't let these obstacles stop them, God is proud of them. God's their Abba. God's their Father. In fact, in James, Abraham is known as the friend of God. He's the first one to whom that label is attached. And so, I look at this, wow, God is not ashamed to be called their God. In fact, you know that God changed His name because of Abraham. Before Abraham, He was just God. After Abraham, He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, That's how close and intimate they were. So I see that verse, and then the other side of it hits me. Whoa, wait a minute. The opposite could also be true for some people. Is there a sense that on that final day when we get to heaven, there will be some Christians who, though they are accepted, though they are received, though they are forgiven, there's a sense of shame in the heart of God. And it's not the shame of rejection. Please understand me here. It's the shame of a father who has given his child everything they need for life and godliness, and he's watched as they squandered their opportunities. You see, Revelation 7 and Revelation 21 say that He will wipe every tear from our eye. We don't know why those tears are there, but let me just speculate for a moment. Could it be that in the light of God's glory, when we get to heaven and we begin to look back in the light of all that we now can see, some of us will say, Oh God, I'm sorry. I lived such a safe life. I didn't take the kind of chances I, I now wish I'd taken. Lord, I had no idea You'd gifted me for that kind of a mission, for that kind of a vision. Oh God, what might have been? Is there a sense that there will be some Christians on the final day that will have that sense of, oh God, I'm so sorry. And of course He will wipe every tear from our eye. But here's the good news, folks. We're not there yet. And let that be a warning and say, Father, I want to fulfill the purposes in my generation that you have for me. I don't want to live for less than what I was born for. There's a little saying, it goes like this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You see, your destiny begins with just you saying, today's the day. I'm not going to live a safe life anymore. I'm going to go for it. Let me tell you one last story and then I'll pray and we'll close. I have this vision of what it's going to be like when the role is called up yonder and the saints are brought forward. Now, don't quote me on this. I don't teach it in systematic theology, but this is just kind of my idea of what it's going to look like. I have this picture of the throne of God, and I see the angelic hosts all surrounding, like in these balconies, or maybe they're just hovering. I don't know. And then I see the saints of the ages that are all in this big gathering, and there's this aisle that comes right down the center, and, and all of a sudden, a name is called Billy Graham. And Billy Graham comes down the center aisle to receive his reward. And ah, 
there's loud applause and the angels are clapping and the redeemed are yelling and Billy Graham has no more sickness, no more Parkinson's, but he walks forward in his, in his glorified body and receives his reward. And, and, and then they call, you know, Edward Kim. And New Hope goes, ah, you know, they yell and cheer and the angels cheer and, and Edward comes to receive his reward. And then, and then they call Ron Walborn and my mother claps wildly, you know, from the back, you know. Thanks, Mom, you know. And, and then they call this name. Mildred McGillicuddy. And the angels break out in the loudest applause of the day. The roar from the angelic host is, is almost deafening. And the redeemed are doing golf claps. They're like, Mildred McGillicuddy, who's that? Who is Mildred McGillicuddy? You know, I mean, who's she? She never pastored a church. She never, you know, preached a sermon. We never heard of her. And then the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth rises from his throne. And he says, you never heard of her. But when I called her, she always said yes to me. And when I called her to pray, she would rise early in the morning. No one ever saw. She would drop to her knees and she would intercede. And when she prayed, missionaries were sent. And when she prayed, nations came to know me. And when she obeyed and said yes, in spite of her weakness, in spite of her issues, she always said yes to me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because... Get this into your spirits. There are no menial destinies in God's kingdom. There's only menial attitudes. And it's time for us to get rid of them. you stand with me? I'd like the worship team to come. But I want to pray for you. And I believe today is a day that destiny can be birthed in many of you. In a fresh way. In a new way. Come, Holy Spirit. For some of you, today's the day to cast down the obstacles and say, no longer is perfectionism going to stop me from saying yes to God. Some of you who are very detail-oriented have been exhibiting an incredible lack of faith by demanding that you know all the details of where God is calling you. Right now, it's time to say, Lord, I repent. I repent of my obsessive, compulsive need to know and I declare I will trust you. I will trust you. Let it come. The Spirit of God's here. He's doing something in you right now. Let it come. More, Lord. Some of you right now, the doubts have come and, and you thought that the doubts were a sign that you were wrong. But the reality is the doubts are a sign that you're, you've been getting a God-sized vision. Some of you have thought that your vision is just a result of your own fleshly pride. But I want you to know God has great plans for you. He has plans that go beyond your fleshly pride. They have to do with His glory. And as you begin to move out, He'll deal with your stuff. He'll deal your, with your motivations. But you've got to be a yes man, a yes woman for Him. For some of you, it's time to get rid of the entitlement, the need to be comforted all the time, the need to get the reward in the here and now. It's time to say, Lord, I'll embrace temporary discomfort in this life, that the comfort of eternity would be mine. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him because He recognized that this life is just a blip on the radar of time that eternity is forever. 
And some of you right now, in Jesus' name, I break off the past, the curses, the lies. Some of you are living with your vision fully on who you used to be. And God is saying, I have something new for you. You're a brand new creation in me. Your future is altogether different than your past. It's time to embrace who you are and who you will be in me. So Father, now we just pray for a release of faith in this place. Let it come. Let it come, Lord, more. More. Right now, Father, begin to birth vision. Begin to birth freedom for this church. For your people. You know, as the worship team begins to play, um, somebody asked me last night to pray for the ministry team in this church. And so if, if the ministry team, just have people come forward. I, I just want to pray for the ministry team. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, just have them come. Yeah. Yeah, anybody that wants to be more empowered for ministry, just come right now to the front. We're just going to pray. Just not, I'm not limiting it to one person or group. Just if you're saying, I want to step out, just come. Let it come, Lord. Thank you. Yes, Lord. For some of you, a step out of your chair in, in Partington Hall on Nyack College campus is as momentous for you as leaving Ur was for Abraham and Sarah. A step saying, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to step into what God has for me. And so right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those that are stepping out saying, I want more. I don't want to settle for less. So come, Holy Spirit. I pray for next level anointing upon them. I pray, Father, that you would scale away that which has been hindering and limiting. And that you would wash them and prepare them for what's to come. Some of you are right now saying, oh, I wish I had come forward. Then come. Then come. Don't wait. Come. Remember, this isn't for the special Christians. This isn't for the ones... Listen, you are all the apple of God's eye. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a destiny for you. This isn't for the people that have the upfront gifts. This isn't for the people that are able to speak and perform. This is for every single child of God. He has a destiny for you. There's prayer warriors here that need to be empowered. There's people that are going to serve in service, kind of behind the scenes. You're going to sweep carpets. You're going to set up chairs. But you're going to do it as under the Lord for the glory of God. It's your destiny. Let it come, Father. Let the revelation of your glory Come and fill us. Just receive them. Fill them, Holy Spirit. Fill them, Holy Spirit. Let come.
Jesus, we break off curses from the past. You are not who your dad said you were. You're worth way more than anybody ever thought. And you're worth more than you think. And so we break you free from those lies and those voices that run in your head. And we bless you with the clear voice of the one who loves you, who has destiny for you, who has a future that is full of glory, full of his purpose, his wisdom, his revelation. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord says that some of you, in order to inherit and receive your destiny, uh, you're going to have to leave some good things behind. Some of you are gifted in areas of ministry, and you're getting a lot of affirmation for that, for those particular areas. But the Lord says there comes a point when you even have to leave behind the good things to inherit the best. And while today you may be playing drums, tomorrow you may be preaching. And while today you may be serving in a choir or a worship team, tomorrow you may be leading mission teams. And so you have to leave behind not just the bad stuff, but sometimes you have to leave behind the good stuff to inherit the best that God is giving you. And it may be, for some of you, that that's harder than leaving behind the old curses. Some of you find it difficult to risk. No, I can't step out. I'm getting a lot of affirmation for this. No. It's time to let go. Say yes to Him. We trust you, Lord. It's weird. I'm sensing that there's some of you that God's calling you to step out of places of ministry and start fresh ministries. And by you not stepping out and doing that, you're literally hindering a person behind you who needs to step into the place you're in right now because you're holding on instead of moving out. And I, I'm, I'm sensing this right now. I don't know who this is for. It may be a number of people. But some of you are stuck in a ministry because you're getting affirmation for it. But the Lord has more for you. And it's time to break free and move out. It's a hard thing. Because when His favor is on you, there's blessing wherever you go. And so that can't be the only test that you use to decide whether to go or whether to stay. And so the Lord says, listen to me. I will let you know when it's time to go. I will let you know when it's time to step out. Come, Spirit of God. Radical obedience releases radical power. Don't get stuck. Let it come. Let it come, Father. 
Father, we pray for expansion for this body of believers. We pray, even though it's, it's a relatively young group, that they would... I'm sensing some of you need to loosen your grip on the way things have been. You need to loosen your grip on the way things have been. Uh, it's ironic, but I sense some of you have become traditional even though you're not a traditional church. And the Lord's calling you out. Let go. Trust Him. The life of faith is a life of risk. It's a life of newness. It's a life of freshness. You cannot hold on and do the same thing over and over again expecting different results. It's time. It's time to let loose. It's time to begin to bless the leadership when innovation and creativity begins to come forth instead of always being the anchor to weigh it down. Let loose. Be bold. Be courageous. Go for it. Father, I pray that you birth destiny and new hope today. New hope. New destiny. Let it come. Thank you, Father. to a close and allow God to seal for us all that he's done in us over this weekend. There are many individual prayers I think that God is touching upon you in very specific and unique ways. We want to bless those prayers. Allow God to continue to fill you. Speak to him the words that he's put upon your heart. Let him speak to you the words that he has in some ways been waiting to say to you for a long time. If you would listen if you would respond. And we allow then just bless all those individual works to happen all throughout this body. But as we come to a close, also in a corporate sense, I would like to allow us all to experience the common work of God that is common to all of us as one church, one body, one fellowship. I'd like to say this to New Hope. New Hope, face forward. Let us turn around. And I sense for a lot of us, maybe even as a church, there are a lot of different threads that are holding us to the past, to what has been. And it is the enemy holding on to those little threads. And they are empowered, not because those threads are strong. They are empowered because we allow it to be. We must turn around and there is a one that is as we look forward into our future. There is a one that is on the other side, our destination. God a strong image in my mind. He, He before us. God, He is our rope holder. And He is holding onto us a rope and pulling us forward. Forward into our destiny, into our destination. God, we ask that You would just remove from us fears and entanglements. God, the things that hold us back. And that, Father God, exactly in accordance with the author of Hebrews, though we don't know the human author, Father, we know the divine author, 
that God, you wrote through Hebrews, God, for us. And you say that we are to be done with sin and those things which so easily entangle us. To set our eyes, Father, upon you, the perfecter of our faith, and to run, Father God, forward. God, we ask for that release, God, corporately, individually. Even as we come before you now in prayer and corporate worship, would you continue to release us, empower us, and let our feet, God, be swift and let it pound the pavement, Father, forward as you call us, God, into our destiny. Father, would you open up these vistas before us, God, and let hope, Father, be in our hearts as we look forward to all that you have for us in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who are in front, if you, if you want to continue in prayer, you can continue in prayer as we get led in worship and worship together.
power of God is a vertical reality, and so often as we talk about, the kingdom is something that extends horizontally. And God takes this horizontal, vertical point from which He has empowered us, empowered you, and sends you out now to the world to establish His kingdom. As you lock on to the destination of the kingdom of God, at the trail that you leave and the life that you cut into this world, and it's, it's a trail that leads the kingdom. And even other people could walk in your footsteps and find the way there is the kingdom of God. And wherever you walk, His reign and rule is over you. As we leave here, I believe for many of you, there is an extremely specific thing to which He has called you as you leave here. A specific person, a specific task, a specific thing which you need to cut behind you or clasp before you. It is your first step of faith that He has illumined before you. It is a stake you are to put into the ground of your future to claim to walk in all that He has for you in release, in God's freedom, in grace, in His mercy, love, and His promise is to walk in those steps, is to know more of Him, is to draw nearer to Him, is to find that you are following in the footsteps of God and keeping in step, keeping in step with the new steps of the Spirit before you. I'd like for you to as we close our time to make a commitment and this is not a manipulation thing the spirit of God himself is addressing you you know it he's speaking into your soul your conscience say God I commit to this it's not easy it's hard that's why I commit to this Father I say this will be my causeway my link from everything that you did during this time this weekend God into my life at home at school at work this is my tangible link between Sunday worship and Monday worship Sunday glory and Monday glory to spending the Sabbath with you and spending my days my week of work with you the kingdom come your kingdom remains your kingdom coming until the end I'll give you for a moment just to close that out in prayer before the Lord. Father, the enemy we recognize is work. You said that we would. He works with these spider-like threads of craft, deceit and lies which are so weak and can be easily snapped by your greater power. You work with golden forged links of grace, God, strong in your love, empowered by your spirit, anchored upon your cross. And you, God, who are beyond the veil, pull us forward. God, we ask for these links to be forged of grace and your goodness in our lives. It is your empowerment. It is your power. We simply receive it, walk humbly in it, in the ever-growing freedom that belongs to all that are the children of God, born of your Holy Spirit. We breathe that freedom, Father God, upon us, upon each other, God, and receive it. We ask, God, that the links that you need to create between the words that were spoken here and release, healing, empowerment, encouragement, those links will be forged now and sealed so that, God, that as we awaken Monday morning 
and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday that they would stay, that the work of God would endure. God, be more real to us than the things of this passing and fading world. We pray that, God, for each other, linking, God, these things between us. Father, we join in these prayers corporately as a body, your own body, as you are going up us up into the head, which is Christ Jesus. Father, in these things we pray in your name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for us to continue and stay in an attitude of worship, actually, you know, always, forever. And as we do that, we're going to close out in a song of worship together, but there's a few people to thank. But if we can do this, if we just continue to stay in in an attitude of worship as we do this, and James, you can just keep on playing, you know, just to continue us in that spirit. There's a lot of people, and it's appropriate that we continue an attitude of worship for all the labor that went on in details and planning. They were all given to us in the spirit of worship, in servanthood to us, and ultimately serving the Lord. And we just want to recognize and honor those people. And I'm going to probably, I don't know actually all the people, but I'll name the people I know, and then those, you can fill in the rest. John, John, would you stand? Hugh? Kathy Chow, who just, you know, everything. <laughs> From the bulletin to all the planning and the communication between our speaker and Nayak, we especially thank her for all her efforts and labors in the Lord. Are there other people? Other people that... Christina, Jen Yoon, Sang, James Young, Danny Kim for the games. All right, we thank them all before the Lord. So what? So okay, so a lot of people. <laughs> so actually, if we thank them all in the Lord and in our hearts. And before we start our last song of worship, Che, would you, would you close us out in a word of prayer and give us a benediction? Yeah. I just want to um, um, uh, uh, join me to thanking Ron and, um, and also Wanda and his family joining us. Um, and just uh, thank you for the time of ministry and just blessing you've been to us uh, during the last few days. This is a uh, CD from our children. Father, we just thank you for teaching us and being with us during the last couple of days. And as we, um, uh, uh, hopefully, as we just learn a little more about you and, and also learn a little more about what is it you are doing in our lives and what you are calling us to do. And I pray that uh, each of us will be will be hearers and will be obedient to what we hear and, and follow the step of faith. And uh, as Ron was admonishing us that. They will be bold and be willing to take risk and not, not just stay in our comfort, comfortable area. And I pray that comfort will never be our goal, but our goal will always be to, to honor you and to glorify you and do the things that you've destined us to, for, destined us to, to be. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray.
as he enters into his master's happiness on a daily basis, as he awaits the great entering and sharing of your happiness, Father, at the end of days. God, we pray that, Father, that as he enters into the kingdom of God eternal, that there would erupt, Father, from your church, God, glorious honor and praise, Father, for him to you, God. And we pray that, Father God, that at the end, Father, when he could see the full fruit of all that has been accomplished through his life and through his destiny, and hear the well done, God, of his master, that, God, that there would in his heart be the deepest and the fullest rejoicing. And we pray that every day, God, in anticipation of that moment, we'd be spent in faithful service and joy before you. We ask, God, for a greater and even more, Father, deeper anointing, the power of your Holy Spirit upon him. Father, your spirit upon his wife, Wanda. God, your spirit upon their children. And that, God, that there would be, God, even greater works done, Father, through the generations of faith passed down, God. Father, upon their children and grandchildren, God, that they would all be those, Father, that rise up, Father, in your kingdom. God, to bless their great heritage which they've been given, Father. And to always be a people, Father, of your great destiny and of your call. God, we thank you, God, so much for them. We ask that, God, your grace will continue to abide and rest with them, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, we pray these things as we receive your benediction, your grace, God, your, your kindness given to us in Christ. Father, and we turn them all back to you now, God, and we say, God, be glorified, Father. Be glorified and receive all honor and glory. And as you look upon us, Father, even as we fellowship in closing, May all these things rejoice and delight your heart, for it is our desire to please you, Father, to bring your pleasure, Father. We thank you gratefully, humbly, as we give all these things back to you, God, in Christ Jesus' name. God, amen. Amen.